what's, what's the most important thing that anyone or someone has ever said to you? What's the most important or impacting? What is it that somebody said to you that, that perhaps, maybe they said, I believe in you, and it was someone that you greatly respected. Maybe it was a sports coach who said, you can do it, I believe in you. Maybe it was somebody who said, I love you. My life was changed when Nia, after all of the snot and tears, finally said, yes, I'll marry you. My life was changed, transformed by that. What's the most important thing that somebody's ever said to you? How did it change your life? What's the, what's the most important thing that Papa said to Jesus? That's a good question, isn't it? Mark 1 verse 11 you're, you're my son yes, you are my son whom I love and with whom I am very, very pleased now for most of us we can ask the question how many people here can remember their father their earthly father saying something of that nature to them I love you, you're my son. Hand, hands up nice and high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's quite a lot, twelve. Normally it's about somewhere between five and ten percent. In China it would be zero. No one. No one. How would your life be different today if he had said that? How would it be different if he said it every week? For the first 18 years of your life, you're my daughter. I love you. So proud of you. But this isn't the most important thing that our Father has ever said. This isn't the most, it's related, but it's not the most important thing. Because the most important thing he's ever said is described in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. You see, there's incredible power in words. There's incredible power in words. I remember when I first got saved, I, I read a, a little book by a lady called Carol. I can't remember what her surname was. But it was called Words That Heal and Words That Hurt. Proverbs, Proverbs tells us that there's the power of life and the power of death in the tongue. The power of life and the power of death in the tongue. We're also told, Jesus said this, out of the overflow of the heart does the mouth speak. Out of the overflow of the heart does the mouth 
speak. In Hebrews we read, for the word of God is living and it is active. The word of God is living and active. It divides, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. You see, there's a word that comes from the soul that sounds like wisdom and it might even be wisdom, but then there's a word that comes from the spirit. I'm a terrible counselor. If you need counseling, don't come to me. Go and see my wife because I'll spend an hour talking to you and get nowhere. And my wife will then come along after I've been speaking and going, getting nowhere for an hour and she'll say one sentence and it'll cut right to the heart. She won't even know why she said it or what it means or what it's for. She'll just know that's what it is. You see, there's a word that comes from the, the soul and there's a word that comes from the spirit. And the word that comes from the spirit has life in it. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. They're life. Maybe even some of you could experience that in our last session. Just words and seeds of life. Just dropping into your heart. Words of life. They're going to grow 30, 60, 100 times. See, if it's just information, then you just know information. But when life comes, it drops into your heart. It, take, it takes root and it grows. In the beginning was the Word. Nir and I have been a couple of years running, gone down to a, a place called Queenstown in New Zealand. And Queenstown's kind of the capital of adrenaline junkies in New Zealand. It's where you go to go bungee jumping and skiing out of helicopters and every other crazy thing that you can imagine that you could do. And uh, we were down there and teaching about the love of the Father, the heart of a father, actually in Youth with a Mission on this occasion. And uh, there was a guy on the, the, actually the leader of the discipleship training school we were leading, we were speaking on, and he came to me, he said, I don't get this. I said, I, he said, I just don't understand what it is that you're talking about. You know, I hear people saying sonship, and I hear people saying, just let daddy love you, and I, I hear them saying all this stuff, but I don't get it. You see, love is a relationship. You can't force it on somebody. There's a time and place. Love just is. Love is alive. Love moves. Love transforms. Anyway, we were away for a year and then we came back again. And this guy came running up to me. He said, I get it now. I understand. He said, oh, he said, after you left, things just got worse and worse and worse. And I thought, why am I in ministry? And why am I doing this? And why am I doing that? And one day I lay down on my bed and it was like, you know, God, if you don't come and speak to me, I'm going to give up. And I just lay there on my bed. And he said, Papa came. He said... Michael, you're my son. Michael, you're my son. 
And he said, after he said that, I don't know how I know, but I understand what you mean now. I, sonship, I get it. Getting on daddy's lap, I understand. This is the power of God's word. This is the power of God's word. You see, he says, my word will not return to me void. It will accomplish that for which I have sent it. It will not return to me void. You see, there's a word that he desires to speak. There's a word that he desires to speak. If we go to the end of the Old Testament, what is the final thing that is said? I'm going to restore the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. And then will come the great and terrible day of the Lord, the end of orphan-heartedness. I'm going to restore the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. And then 400 years of silence. The prophets didn't speak for 400 years after that. You see, if you want to emphasize something, you can use silence. But we won't do 400 years. Prophetic emphasis. For 400 years, God doesn't speak. And then what does he say? He says, Jesus. He says, Son. He says, Son. I love what it says at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. The beginning of the book of Hebrews. It describes Jesus. The book of Hebrews is about the superiority of Jesus. It says this, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. By his son. The son is the exact radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being. You see, our words reveal our hearts, don't they? Now when you meet someone and they tell you their name, you know their name. When you sit down and have a cup of coffee and you begin to share your hearts with one another, through their words you see their heart. You see, John chapter 1 tells us this. It tells us that the Word was with God and the Word is from God. It goes on and it says... As we read earlier, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is in the Father's side, bosom, breast, neck, shoulder, lap, the one who has come from the most intimate place with the Father. Another version, the one who comes from the very heart of the Father has revealed him. You see, Jesus is the word that is spoken, Son, who reveals to us the very heart of the Father. The very heart of the Father. Words have incredible creative power. 
incredible creative power. Obviously, I'm sure your news is dominated by what's happening with the wildfires uh, here in British Columbia. But some of you would have read about the earthquake in Indonesia, in the island of Lombok. There was another one yesterday, 5.3, it's the fourth one. Nira and I used to live on that island. We lived there for seven years. It's occupied by a radical Muslim people group, two and a half million of them, that we used to work amongst. It's the home of the second highest mountain in Indonesia. Uh, the highest is in Irian Jaya. It's actually the second highest in Southeast Asia. But it used to be the highest mountain in Southeast Asia. It's like, it's a mountain, if you know the mountain Krakatoa, sometimes you learn about Krakatoa in geography. Krakatoa is off the coast of Java. And the whole mountain exploded. It was like all this pressure was building up and the whole mountain blew up and all that was left was a remnant. Well, the remnant that's left in Lombok is still 11,000 feet high. They say 40 cubic kilometers of rock was thrown into the air when Rinjani on the island of Lombok erupted 40 cubic kilometers. Imagine if you could stand in the middle of that and be volcano proof. Imagine if you could stand in the middle of that and see that power unleashed without being harmed in any way. Imagine if you could stand at ground zero in Nagasaki or Hiroshima and see an atomic explosion take place. That's nothing compared to the creative power of God. Nothing. That's not even a hair on a flea. Because for, six, for five days, sorry, God spoke and the galaxies came to be. That's the power of his creative word. When he speaks, his word brings with it Incredible creative power. Incredible creative power. You know, if, if we were to, to divide all of the stars in the known galaxy, between the galaxies, between everyone on Earth, how many would you get? How many would be just for Michelle, right? How many would Michelle get? Do you know, how, do you know what her portion of all the stars would be? Only epoxy 100 million. There's a hundred million stars in the known galaxies for every person on Earth. This is who our Father is. This is who Papa is. This is the creative power of his word. So what is the purpose of this word? John 1 verse 12. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Born of God. You see, we're going back to the garden. This is what it is to be born again. This is what it is to be born again. We're going back to the garden. 
I, you know, I don't know if you had the privilege, or of course all the ladies had the privilege of seeing their children born. They were personally involved. I don't know about all the husbands. But I was there when my girls were born. And I remember holding both of them shortly, just seconds after they'd been born in my arms. And just looking down and you can see, wow, there's a unique individual personality there. It's like she's like nobody else. And they're kind of they're kind of blinking, they're kind of going, like, where the hell am I? You know? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what has just happened to me? And they're kind of blinking. And you can look down into their eyes and you can see this unique, beautiful personality. There's only one. And as I did that, I looked into my daughter's faces and I said, I'm your dad. Mum and I, we've been waiting for you. You are so welcome. You're so welcome. We love you, you're so welcome. I imagine Papa doing that with Adam in the garden. It's interesting, isn't it? He spoke for the first five days. On the sixth day, he got personally involved. He put his hands in the dust of the earth and he formed and he shaped and he molded. My daughter, our eldest daughter, is an artist. And when she's creating, she kind of skips out. It's like she's tripping or something, you know? She goes into a different world. And it's a world of colors and shades and brushes and, and tones. And, and she's seeing and then, then it's like everyone else disappears because she's lost in the joy of the creative process. I see Papa just like that. Forming and shaping, molding. And then what does he do? Genesis 2 verse 7. He forms and then he... He breathes life into his nostril. He kisses him. Have you been kissed by a man before? I love you, Lord. I've got, got some, I've uh, just got a couple of tips for you before we go ahead and do this. You know? <laughs> the first is this. Kissing is always better with eyes closed. Right? If you close your eyes, you can kind of... You savour. It's like eating good food, you know. You... Why, why did he choose that? He could have just said, Adam, live. Adam, live. But what does he do? He takes up his life. He takes up his breath. And he... Oh, he kisses him, but not there. Here. And Adam opens his eyes, and what does he see? He sees Papa. He sees Papa. And I imagine Papa saying something similar. You're my son. Maybe Adam's first reaction was, who on earth are you? And by the way, who am I as well? You're my son. 
whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. You're my child. I imagine there being a Niagara Falls of love flowing from eye gate to eye gate, from heart to heart. As Adam discovers who he truly is, Ephesians says he's the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives their name. He's the one from whom we derive our identity. You see, you can do every, every personality test known to man and you'll never know who you are until you know who your father is. Because he's the one who defines our identity. You're my son. You're my boy. You are, I am your origin. I am your father. I love you. So pleased with you. See, the word comes from the Father, from the heart of the Father, to reveal the Father that we can come back to our true reality, that we can come back to His original design. The word, the word conceives life within us. The word conceives life within us. You remember the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus? Is that right? Yeah, road to Emmaus. And they meet Jesus and they don't know it's Jesus and they're walking and Jesus is unpacking the scriptures to them and then they arrive and, they, and Jesus breaks the bread and suddenly... The scales fall from their eyes and they see Jesus for who he is and then he disappears. He does a Philip on them, you know, translated somewhere else. He's gone. What do they say? Weren't our hearts burning within us? Weren't our hearts burning within us? You see, the words of Jesus conceive life with it. My words are spirit and they are I love, 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 love the story of Mary in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and she says, uh, and he says, uh, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. I love Mary, you know. I would have a lot more questions about that than she did. You know, well, you know what, are you, what are you talking about? Who are you, first of all? And, uh, what, you know, what, I'm supposed to be getting married next week. Well, how's that going to affect things? And, you know, uh, but she only asked one question. Because she knows the birds and the bees. How will this happen since I am a virgin? And what the angel says next is not only for Mary, it's for you. It's not only for Mary, it's for you. He says, let me get it right. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you and conceive within your womb, son. You see, Father's always giving away his secrets. He can't wait to tell us what it is that he's going to do. He's doing it all through the Old Testament with type and shadow. And here, this not only speaks of Jesus, it speaks of you. Because this is Father's desire, that the Holy Spirit would come upon you, that the power of the Most High would overshadow you and conceive within your heart, Son, Daughter, Son. God came to me and he said, Michael, you're my son. Now I understand. Now I see. When Jesus asked the disciples, you know, who do the people say that I am? They said, oh, they think you're John the Baptist or Elijah the prophet. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter. But my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Father wants to bring a revelation to your heart. He wants to speak his word, his eternal word. And that word, after 400 years of prophetic silence, is Son. Son, you're my son. And when he says it, that settles it. When he says it, that settles it. It's the power of his creative word. And I love Mary's response. What did Mary say in response to all of that? May it be unto me according to your word. May it be unto me according to your word. We're getting close to that ministry time. One more thing. Let's look at Ezekiel 37. Two more things. Ezekiel 37. This is the story of the Valley of Dry Bones. I just love this passage. Ezekiel's there in the valley of dry bones. And then the sovereign Lord said, prophesy to these bones. Say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to those bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons and to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. There was a noise. There was a rattling sound. There's a rattling sound here today. There's a rattling sound here today. Because life is coming. Life is coming. 
There was a noise, there was a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, breathe into these slain that they may live. This is the power of the word of God. This is the power of his word. This is the power of his word. This is the power of his word. You see, what we've been talking about here this morning and this afternoon, Adam, Adam understood it. Adam saw it. Like I said, Adam held in the arms of the Father. I think even when Jesus says those words in the River Jordan in Mark 1 verse 11, he's articulating what Adam heard there in the garden in the moment of his creation. You're my son whom I love and with whom I'm so very pleased. We know that David understood this. King David says in Psalm 27 verse 10, though my mother and father forsake me, though my mother and my father are not able to be to me, the mother and the father that I needed them to be, though they're not able to love me the way that I needed to be loved, the Lord will receive me. All of the fathering and mothering love that my heart has ever needed is fully available in him. You see, his love is not limited by time and space. His love is like a river that can flow back through all of your life, touching every area, every moment, every second of your history, right back into the womb where you were being formed and created. Pouring in all of the love that your heart has ever needed. Touching, healing, releasing, freeing, restoring. David understood this. Psalm chapter 2 verse 10. You are my son, David. You're my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance the ends of the earth as your possession. You are my son. Today I've become your father. He said it about Solomon. I will be a father to him and he will be my son. And one of your offspring will be on the throne forever. I will be a father to him and he will be my son. Solomon understood this. Jeremiah understood it. We read it earlier, right? We had it. I wanted to give you the most beautiful inheritance of all lands. I thought that you would call me Papa, Father, Abba. I thought that you would call me Father. John understood it. John the Apostle. That he would write, God is Love. How did he know that? How did he know that? How did he know God is love? At the beginning of his epistle, he said, We write to you of that which we have seen with our eyes, 
of that which we have heard with our ears and that which we have touched with our hands. We're speaking to you of our own personal experience. God is love. In John chapter 13, we read how John leaned into the bosom of Jesus at the Last Supper. Interesting, isn't it? Do you know the structure of that verse is identical to John 1 verse 18, where Jesus comes from the colpos of the Father, from the neck, the shoulder, the bosom, the breast, the heart, the lap, the side of the Father. That's the position that John was in. When Jesus then began to say these words, do not worry. Do not worry. I'm going. I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. John's leaning into his bosom right now. John's leaning into his bosom. How could he otherwise write John 17? This is Jesus' desire that the love that Papa has for him would be in us. John understood this. Paul understood it. Romans chapter 8, Galatians chapter 4, that the spirit of sonship, that the spirit of sonship would come upon us and testify with our spirits that we are sons and daughters of God. And by this spirit, we would cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. Paul understood this. He saw it. He knew it. He experienced it. What about you? What about you? What about you? You know, back about 10 years ago, I was in uh, New Zealand. We run various courses. Uh, we won, run one-week schools. We've just done one in Moose Jaw last week and one in uh, Calgary the week before. Um, they're amazing. We call it very simply the A school. There's a B school too. <laughs> the A school. It's all about experiencing the love of the Father. But we also run a three month school. We've got one day, right? Like three hours. <laughs> we run a three month school in the, one of the most intensely beautiful places in the world on a little island 60 kilometers off the coast of Auckland in New Zealand. It's a massive island. It would take you three, three hours to drive the length of the island, but only 400 people live there. Only 400 people live there. And there's this beautiful facility in the bottom of a valley. There's two peninsulas that go out. The ocean is crystal clear, olive-colored water. Dolphins swim in the bay. Killer whales come into the bay occasionally chasing stingrays. Wild penguins live there up on this peninsula is, uh, is a bird sanctuary. So many of the very rare birds in New Zealand you can see every day because they're flying around all, all over the place there. It is incredibly beautiful. And it's a place of God's presence. It's a place where it seems like it's 
the distance between heaven and earth is very narrow, very thin. Amazing place. It's like the Garden of Eden. I was out there in 2009, and these verses in Mark chapter 1, verse 11, have become really, really important to me. You're my son. You're my son, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. And in my heart there was a longing. Papa, I want to hear these words from you. I want to hear these words from you. I, my own father was never able to say these words, and even if he could, I don't think it would have been enough. Because I know in my heart that I'm made to hear this from you. Now, even as I leave, even as that chair is there right now, you can look at that chair and you know. You can look at that chair and remember Brent and Jess sitting there and something inside of you says, I think I might belong there too. It's almost like a house that you used to live in when you were two or three years old. You have these vague memories. I remember what the door was like. I remember what the bedspread on my parents' bed was like and what the carpet looked like. But that's all I remember. You have vague memories. And when we see that little illustration, something ancient inside of us says, I think that might be where I, I should be living too. And in my heart, I was like, Papa, I want to hear these words from you. I need to hear them from you. Richard, you're my son. I love you. I'm so proud to be your father. So proud to be yours. I love to swim in, in particularly in very cold water. When Nia and I went swimming in, uh, in Denmark, in January and the ocean was freezing, becoming ice around the edges. And we went in swimming, then straight into the sauna afterwards. We, I just love swimming in cold water. And out there where we run the three-month school, it's a place called Arama. Arama means vision. We're out there and there's this, all this beautiful ocean. And early on in the school, the water's only about 10 degrees. so. Nobody else wants to go swimming except me. And that's part of the reason I like going, because I can be out there on my own. You know, it, just to be there with Papa on my own. I woke up one morning, it was a Saturday morning, probably about six o'clock in the morning. It's Saturday, so no one's in a hurry to get up. Everyone's having a line or still asleep. And I walked down in my swimming what do you call it? I call it a swimming costume. Some people imagine me wearing a clown suit when I wear it, when I say something like bathing suit. Bathing suit. I walk down in my bathing suit to the little dock. And when I get to the dock, I've got kind of a ritual. And it kind of goes, and get ready, you know. And then I dive straight in. The water was flat as a millstone, mill pond, sorry. Flat as a mill pond, you know? You could see little flies just jumping and breaking the surface tension. It's the ocean, but flat as a mill pond. And I ran up and 
just launch myself off into this freezing water and it really wakes you up. <laughs> you know, you, you just, uh, but you get in, it's like, and after about 30 seconds, your hands and your feet turn numb and you can't feel it anymore. And so I swam just gently, you know, just breaststroke round to the next bay. It's about a 20 minute swim if you swim slowly. Just with Papa, she said, I just want to swim in an ocean of your love, Papa. The sun's rising. It's a beautiful, beautiful spring morning. Just want to swim in an ocean of your love. Come round into the bay, turn round, start to swim back. And on the way back, there's, a, there's another little bay, just a small bay. And at the back of the bay is steep cliffs, so you can only get to it from the water. And I swam into this little bay, and of course it's salt water, so you've got lots of buoyancy. You don't have to try very hard for your head to stay above water. I just came round into the bay, and I just, right there with Papa, I just want to be with you. And I'm just moving my feet real gentle, just to keep my head above the water, but basically floating there. As I was floating there, I looked over towards the edge and there's all kinds of tropical trees uh, and up in one of the trees is a, is a kingfisher. Do you know what a kingfisher is? Do you have those here? Yeah. Electric blue color bird, beautiful little birds, but they're very, very, very timid. If you try and get, you know, there's one over by the doors there and you start to move towards it, it'll fly that far away again and find another perch. And if you try and approach, it'll fly away. And I'm looking up, just enjoying this beautiful bird as it's perched on a branch in the tree in front of me. And as I'm looking at it, I'm just floating there, of course, up to my neck in water. And that little blue bird, that beautiful kingfisher, jumped off the branch, flew down to me, and then began to fly backwards and forwards above my head. Well, I'm a little bit slow, up to my neck in water. I've got the New Zealand equivalent of a dove flying above my head and the tangible presence of my papa saying, I love you, Richard. You're my son. You're my child. You're my boy. You're my boy. You're my boy. Father, and I love you. Henry Nguyen calls it the central event of Jesus' life and ministry, his baptism in the Jordan. You're my son. Of course, he heard the same on the Mount of Transfiguration. You're my son. This is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You see, there's a word that Father desires to speak into your heart. And that word is daughter. That word is son. That word is my child, my daughter. That's who you 